Good morning to you. Uh, my name is BT, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. There's not many worship services that begin with the music leader saying, kill the music. But we recovered well and some beautiful singing. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, there is something to behold. There is something for us to come and see. An event so grand that its anticipation lit up the night sky with lights and sounds of music. Like sunset hills down the street, the Christmas balls that dangle high in the trees and illuminate the dark night sky. Only these incandescent beings were alive and they sang with angelic tones. This event, it caused royalty to burn with jealousy and madness, for that government to turn against its littlest and most vulnerable citizens and do the unthinkable. It caused men of great wisdom to travel great lengths in search of a great one. The world would be changed by this event. No tribe, no tongue, no people, regardless of how remote or how global, how agrarian or how metropolitan would go untouched by this one. The lame, you see, would walk. The deaf would hear, the blind would see, the sick would find their physician, and the lost would find themselves found. There is something to behold. There is something for you to see. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. I want to invite you this morning to come and see this Advent season, as we have been nearing Christmas, we've been studying the scriptures as they tell the story, as it happened in time and history. And as the other gospels tell the narrative story of how this virgin girl chosen by God ends up in a little town at this end with no rooms, the gospel of John brings us straight up to the foot of the manger and lets us look in and see who it is that all of this fuss is about. At the beginning of the book of John, the Christmas story is not told, but the reason for its significance is. And this morning, through the opening prologue of the Gospel of John, that's John chapter 1, starting in verse 1 is where we'll start. And in this prologue, we will come and see. John will take us to where the North Star leads to behold what's resting at the final destination of the wisest of men, to see who's there at the end of the tracks of the shepherds and their sheep, to discover what is it that lies just outside of the inn with no rooms, and we will take a peek into the manger. Who is this word that became flesh and dwelt among us? Let's pray together. Father God, as we look to your word, as we look to the gospel of John, as we hear about Christ, illuminate our minds, change our hearts for your glory. Amen. Did you know that it matters who Jesus is? It matters that you know who Jesus is. 
if you don't believe, if you've decided to reject him and what this written word says about him, it matters that you know what you're rejecting. If you do believe in him and delight in him and follow him, if you've said in your heart and in your mind that he is your Lord, then it matters that you know who you're following. There are so many all around the world who celebrate his birth, but don't know who he is. Who he is makes such a difference. Who he is caused the wise men to leave their land, the shepherds to leave their flocks, King Herod to leave his mind. What will who he is cause you to do? And I'm going to repeat this for emphasis because I want you to hear me say it and I want you to answer this in your heart. What will who he is cause you to do? For us in this room, because of this book, we don't have to wake up tomorrow unaware of the significance of the occasion. So long as you pay attention for the next 30 minutes, or if you don't look like you're focusing, maybe longer. If we follow along with John, we won't have to wake up and wonder what it is we're wondering about. In our text, in John, it says in verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Christmas story. The incarnation, the son of God taking on flesh incarnate and living among mankind. This process which began when Mary conceived Jesus, but seen first with the human eye on that holy night, the night of our dear Savior's birth. It is the word that became flesh. It is the word that is Jesus. And it is with that word that John begins this prologue. John chapter 1 verse 1 reads like this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now it is no mistake that John begins his gospel of Jesus with the very words that Moses begins his account of creation in the book of Genesis. This is probably familiar to you, the beginning of Genesis. How does the Bible start? In the beginning. Very good. Four or five of you knew it. Well done. In the beginning, because you can't tell the story of Jesus without beginning in the beginning. Why? Because he was there. When the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, where was Jesus? He was not just a twinkle in his father's eye. He was the prime mover of what Aristotle would call the unmoved mover, what Christians would call God of God, light of light, very God of very God. When we take our first look into the manger, we see that he is eternal. He is eternal. He was in the beginning. Not made, was. 
Never a time where he wasn't, always a time when he was. Eternal God. And he was with God. The Word, who is the Son of God, who is Jesus, with the Father, eternally existing together with each other, with God. And John says, and he was God, eternal God. He was with God and he was God. That's amazing. That in of itself, he was with God and he was God. Never mind verse 14 when it says that that word who was with God and was God became flesh and dwelt among us. Is there any truth more incomprehensible than the eternal God of the universe who took on flesh and lived as a man among humankind? Is there any truth more incomprehensible? I would say yes. If he was a baby, that would be more incomprehensible. That the very God of very God was a baby. But that's probably more of an indictment on how we view children than it is on the actual incomprehensibility of the God taking on the infant form of flesh. I've had the privilege the, the last 10 months of being back around an infant every day. Uh, it had been a while, and this will most likely be my last. <laughs> Checking my wife's body language. Checking notes, yes. So I watch him closely. I don't want to miss a thing. Constant wonder. His large and lustrous eyes seem to hold all the stars in their astonishment. Seemingly endless delight in the things that have been made. Things that God has made that I have grown bored with, he discovers and he enjoys today and then again tomorrow and again the next day and the next. His greatest fascination coming recently when his family, for some unknown reason, put a house inside a tree inside the house and covered it with lights and with toys and frustratingly will not allow him to touch it. <laughs> An infant is brought into a room and everyone smiles. And if he returns the smile, everyone's heart is filled with joy. I think when God took on flesh and began to dwell among us, he didn't enter in at a stage of humanity that looked less like the image of God. He took on one that probably more clearly reflects it. Is there any truth more glorious than this truth that the eternal God of the universe took on flesh as a baby and lived among mankind? And he was not just the made in the image of God like we are in that sense that all men and women share in. This is what the scriptures say about Christ, the child. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It says, for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There in the manger. The fullness of the eternal God. When we come to the manger, we see he is the eternal God. And so what will you do? John continues, all things were made through him 
And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see that he is the eternal God, but we also see that he is the giver of life and light. Life and light are in him. And life and light, these are two of the most powerful themes in the human experience. Any good story that moves us mere mortals as we are contain one of these symbols. And it isn't any wonder then that the eternal God would step into our world as the one who is described as containing life and light. So we're going to explore this because there's meaning and there's power in understanding Christ as life and light. So in this passage, as we look through it, we'll see that there are two ways that it describes Jesus as the, the container, the, the holder, the giver of life and light. So there's two ways. There's, there's the physical life and light that he gives, and then there's the spiritual. There's the creation life and light, and then there's salvation. And so first we'll look at life and light and creation. And he says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, nothing was made that is made unless he made it. Colossians repeats this idea to us. In chapter 1, it says, For by him, talking about Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. When we get to the manger and we look at Christ, we see that he contains within him life. As John 5.26 says, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He is the creator of all things because life is in him. And we know as Jesus, as, as the agent of creation, he created all matter ex nihilo out of nothing. But he gave life to some out of himself. This is important for us to make sure we see that life is in Christ and our life exists because he gave it to us from within himself. This little one here in the manger who had been knitted together in his mother's womb, whose body was fearfully and wonderfully made, is himself the wonderful maker of all things. All life, including yours, comes from him. Nothing has been made that was not made by him. No life has been given that did not come from within him. Certainly, it is a wonderful thing for a magician to make a rabbit come out of a hat. But he would be altogether something much greater if he first gave life to the rabbit who came out of the hat. The one in the manger, he is no mere magician. He is the maker he is the giver of life. So what will you do? As we stand at the foot of the manger and look down at the Christ child, knowing that all life comes from him, what will you do? Understand this, you are not your own. Whether you reject him or worship him, you must know your very life came from him. Spurn him, if you will. 
Ignore the Christ, if you will. Come every Sunday and pay weekly tribute to him, if you will. But know this, you are because of him. Made by him. And as Colossians told us, made by him and made for him. You are not your own. You are because of him and you are for him. Darkness was over all of creation and then God spoke through the word and brought life and light to all things. Christ is life and light in creation, but he is also life and light in salvation. John's gospel is not about Jesus because Jesus is the creator of the world. He references here that he is, but that's not why John wrote this gospel. He wrote it about Jesus because he is the savior of the world. He is the giver of eternal life. And that's why John even says later in the book, in John 20, verse 31, John says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He wrote this because he gives eternal life. And he wrote this so that we might believe and be given eternal life from him. He says about Jesus in verse 5, he says, Chapter 1, verse 5, John says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is not just the physical darkness that existed before creation. This, this is the spiritual darkness of sin and evil that existed through the fall of the angels and of men. This is the prince of the power of the air, the the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the darkness that the light of Christ came into. The light shines in this darkness, sin and death. And the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot swallow up the light. On the contrary, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The light came into the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. All this is so significant as we look into the manger. And light and darkness, this is part of our everyday experience. This is human reality. The world is filled with darkness. It's everywhere. If we turn our gaze across the oceans, we see nations plot against nations. Words like war and genocide and terrorism exist because darkness does. We don't need a passport to see darkness, though, do we? It's here on our very shores. It's here in our very community. Hatred and murder and perversion and selfishness and nastiness of all kinds. It surrounds us. The most difficult place for us to see it, to see darkness, is, is probably the most obvious, though. 
It's certainly the place we have the most access to. And that's the darkness that is in us. In 1905, uh, British writer and social commentator G.K. Chesterton was asked to respond to this question. What is wrong with the world? He famously wrote a letter with this response. Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Our natural instinct says darkness is there. A heart that gets gripped by the gospel. A mind that's transformed by the word. A pride that is humbled by Christ. Can first say, darkness is here. And it's there too, of course. It's there, it's everywhere. Anyone with half a brain can see that. But it takes a full brain, or let me say it like Christ. It takes eyes to see and ears to hear, opened by the Spirit of God to see that our primary concern with darkness is not there. It should be here. It's not what is behind the screen where we should recognize a critical darkness. It's the reflection that we see when we look at the screen. It is inside of us. And so we, mankind, we carry this darkness. And there is not one thing in this world that can change that darkness. There is no government there is no party, there is no activism, there is no club, there is no cultural movement of any kind. There is no good deeds. The darkness will not lift until that night in Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When we talk about Jesus as the light, it's personal. Because darkness is in us. He isn't just a light for the world out there. He's a light for the soul in here. So he is the giver of life and light. So what will you do? How will you respond? Even in this text, there's two examples of responses. In verse 6 and then in verse 15, a man is mentioned named John. And this is John the Baptist. And we won't spend much time talking about John. After all, the text makes it clear here. He was not the light. But he had a role to play, as do all followers of the light. It says he bore witness about the light so that others would believe. It says he cried out concerning the light. He believed and his life was an arrow pointing to Jesus. This was one response. But there's another response that's captured right here in the text. Because not all received him. And not all believe in him. Not all through faith have his light shine into their darkness, into their hearts. His saving light does not save all. Now listen, his creating light created everyone, but his saving light does not save all. 
although it says in verse 9, the true light gives light to everyone, there is a way in which that true light can be rejected. We see it right here. The world, it says, did not know him. He came to his own people, the people of Israel. Even among them, there was darkness. Why? For they did not receive him by faith. They rejected him. They didn't believe in his name. They ignored him or scoffed at him or reviled him or killed him. I want to make sure everyone hears something about Jesus and the life that is light that he gives. There is no darkness that can overcome it. There is no darkness in you, in your past, in your mind, in your flesh, in your heart. There is no darkness that his light cannot break through. I enjoy every year covering my house, the outside of it, with bright Christmas lights. I do most of the work myself, occasionally with the help of a few little elves. And the best part of putting up the lights is that day when I finish waiting till night when it gets dark and everything's unplugged and everyone gathers out on the street in front of the house. All the lights are off, only darkness and cold. And then when everyone's ready and all is set, I plug it in. And in an instant, darkness turned to light. And it may still be cold, but it doesn't feel quite so cold anymore. When the world was dark and cold, the light came. It's good news. Those who are in the dark, those who are in the cold, it is good news that he came. But know this, it only reaches into the hearts of those who look up and see, who look up with big, lustrous eyes and a childlike faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, it's recorded in John chapter 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Let me ask you, are you living in darkness? Is your life in the dark cold? Because you don't have to. The light has come into the world for this very purpose. To bring light to dark places. Including in you. Believe in Jesus. All within the sound of my voice. Believe in the light and have life. Believe in him as eternal God. Believe in him as creator, the giver of life. And verse 12 goes on and says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now it gets so much better. For he doesn't just illuminate, he reconciles. He is the reconciler of God and man. When we look into the manger, we see that he's not just the light, but he's the reconciler of God and man. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. 
Because there isn't just darkness. There's distance. There's distance between us and God. If he were just a light in the illuminating sense, then he would only reveal how broken and lost we truly are, covered in our own mess. This last week, I was at my in-laws out of town for a few days, and, and right before the final meal and the exchanging of the presents, we did what I hope will be a new and lasting family tradition. The men and children went outside, and we fixed the septic tank. Fixed might be a little too generous. We removed the lid of the well and we looked down into 30 or 40 feet of darkness. And suspended in midair was some type of pump or motor. I'm not sure what. Again, you're understanding why nothing got fixed. But it was leaking. But where was it leaking from? Darkness. Where we had a high-powered flashlight and we were able to shine into the darkness. And with that light, we could see where the pump was broken and leaking. Now, it was great to be able to identify the problem, but, but let me be clear, the flashlight could fix nothing, right? It could show us what was broken, but it could fix nothing. And honestly, we were fixing nothing. But the tank, it needed more than light itself to illuminate its problem. It needed to be repaired. It was broken. It needed to be fixed. There are so many little lights in this world. Good lights, things that, that bring some hope, that bring some peace, that can bring some happiness. God's image is in all of us walking around this earth. So it's no surprise that we get these little tastes of goodness from these smaller lights. A kind heart, a worthy cause, a deep feeling of love or community. The good parts of our humanity, they, they exist as, as these little lights. And I would say that during this season, these good feelings, these, these little lights are even more present than at other times. It's described as Christmas cheer. All these little lights. Scrooge is told that this is the season when abundance rejoices. These little lights bring warmth or excitement or a sense of purpose. But here is the ultimate problem with all of these little lights. They can't fix anything. And I'm saying this to you because I want to clearly distinguish the life-giving light of Jesus with all the other lights that vie for our attention. There's plenty of good-intentioned churchgoers that find just as much delight and just as much joy and give just as much of their lives to these little other lights as they do the true light. Some of us are like John the Baptist, crying out to the world concerning these other little lights because they make us feel good or bring us warmth. But the true light is the only one that fixes what's broken. He reconciles sinful man with the holy God. And the light shows us that is where we were broken. 
But this light also reconciles. Galatians 4, it says in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, and this is talking about Christmas, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When his light shines in us and gives us life, it repairs what sin has broken. We have run away from home out into the wilderness in our sin and our darkness. But through Christ, the path home is lit. Through Christ, the door in is open and healing is given and we are ushered into the home, not as servants, but as sons and daughters. Nothing else can do this but him. Nothing else can fix what's broken in us but the Christ child, the one born on Christmas Day. Because of the life of that child who is laying in a manger, we can have new life and become children of God. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. He is the reconciler of God and man. What will you do? He's also the revealer of the glory of God. In verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he, comes after, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the, right, the Father's side. He has made him known. So when the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He didn't remain a child in a wooden manger in the town of Bethlehem, but he began a journey to a wooden cross on a hill called Calvary. And all along the way, he did the will of the Father, revealing the Father to his people. He did signs and wonders. The lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the blind would see, the sick would find their physician. Through his works and words, the only God who is eternally at the Father's side made him and his glory known to us. His ultimate, most glorious work coming as he gave himself up for us on the cross. He took our guilt and our shame as his body was beaten and bruised and hung on a cross where he died. Where he died. And he descended yet again. But this time, there was no great star in the sky. There were no luminous beings singing songs of praise. Instead, on the night of his death, the sun was shadowed in darkness and silence fell upon the earth. 
The tomb was closed and darkness had overcome the light. The light shines in the darkness. I said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good, for the lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And we have seen his glory, John tells us. And we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Oh, church, Jesus in his birth and life and death and resurrection has revealed to us the glory of God. What will you do? There's only one appropriate response. But what will you do? There are many options, but there's only one appropriate response. When you get to Bethlehem and when you pass the end and when you enter the stable and come up to the foot of the manger, what will you do? Worship. Worship. The wise men said, we saw his star and we have come to worship. In the book of Matthew, later in his life, when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, it says the disciples worshiped him. In Hebrews 1, it says, when God brought his son into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. There is only one appropriate response to Jesus. Whether you are peeking into the manger or with him in the boat or standing at the foot of the cross, whether you're looking into the empty tomb or encircled around his throne, there's only one right thing to do in response to this Christ child. Worship him. We worship him with our lips and worship him with your life. Jesus demands a response. If he was in that manger, if these things are true about him, he demands a response from you today. Who he is has changed the world because the world belongs to him. Open up your heart in faith and he will change your life for you belong to him. Your very existence is because of him. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and gather around the Bible to read the birth story or around the tree to give gifts or around the table for a meal or even around a septic tank, However you celebrate, as you think about the Christ, know this, he is eternal, the giver of all life and light, who reconciles us to God and reveals the glory of God.
and then worship him. Let's pray together.